0: Welcome to America's Top Rebitsons. May this class be for Rafu Shalema for Leia Basha. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have a very special guest on our show today. Her name is Shimona Zuckernick. Shimona is a public speaker and coach. In addition to keynotes to thousands of people around the world, she has addressed the United Nations Staff Recreation Council on the Kabbalah for Global Peace. She's been widely featured in media, including a documentary by National Geographic and Take Me to Your Mother for Nick Mom TV. Shimona is also a freelance writer and author for Roar JLI, the world's largest network of adult education, and she's also the founder of her own Torah-based program. It's called The Method for Self-Mastery. Wow. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do.
1: Hi. Thanks, Vera. It's great to be on your show. Um, so for many years I actually traveled around the world giving keynotes and COVID kind of disrupted that a little bit but what came out of it for me and um, paying attention to what God wants from from us is a really useful tool is that I became a somatic therapist and that's been very much a focus for me so I still keep the the, um, online learning program going but The somatic therapy has been really remarkable and shifted things for me. So that's pretty much what I'm spending my time on at the moment.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And we will get to the somatic there because yeah. I'm very, very interested in that. It's, it's fascinating. So, but first of all, I want to uh, start off by saying, I know that you're passionate about the Kabbalah of nutrition. It's like something that you're really, really enthusiastic and passionate about and you feel is very important because there's a real mystical perspective on eating that reveals why food has a strong hold on us. You know, a lot of us battle with, overeating and emotional eating and binge eating, it's very, very prevalent today. And I would love to unpack our emotional relationship with food. And I'm excited to learn from you some practical advice on health and nutrition, and also to gain tools to help us all facilitate a healthy relationship with food. Um, you know, I was just saying, emotionally eating is so prevalent and people are trying to make themselves feel feel better and ease their stress with food. Um, like a big slice of cake might make us feel better after difficulty at work, or a family-sized bag of barbecue potato chips might make us forget about an argument that we had with a, a friend or a spouse or a coworker. But the pain always comes back after the food high subsides. So food is really not the answer that we're looking for when we want to really, really and truly feel better. So can you please talk to us about the mystical perspective on eating and why we are so drawn to food?
1: Well, there's a lot in there, and maybe we can uh, open that up into two things, which is the mystical perspective and what's really driving it, and then uh, you alluded to the practical aspects as well. I just want to share, when I came to America, um, I, I was introduced to a number of people who had been influenced by Maya Abbasera. And um, Mayer had been living, I think it was in Binghamton at the time, upstate, they were like, he gathered these young hippies around him. And then these hippies who were, you know, 20 years older than I was or 15, depends, uh, they had really learned a lot that Mayer had taught them. He was one of the influential people in bringing macrobiotics to America. So that kind of impacted me. And I must say, having grown up in South Africa, I I knew that our food was different. I could just tell right away. I remember going to Israel and picking. I was on kibbutz and I was 18 or, yeah, I think 18 or 19. And the fruit looked like it grew from a tree or the vegetables came from the ground. Uh, And in America, things were so beautiful and polished, but it was this veneer a presentation and inside there wasn't anything there so um my journey with food has uh, was obviously impacted by i think by having grown up in south africa and then these friends that i uh, that i met but i also when i was pregnant with my twins i um, <clears throat> became allergic to the pregnancy and i was very ill oh i'm sorry and so um I, I spend a lot, a lot of time learning about food and how to restore the body. So uh, we can look at this in terms of an emotional, spiritual perspective and also practical perspective. When you, when you look at the book of Genesis, right at the beginning in the garden. I mean, there's so many stories throughout the Bible that have got there's the tree of life, and there's the lentil pottage of Esau, and there's the wine of Lloyd and his daughters in the cave. And the whole of the book of, of uh, Leviticus is really about Vayikra, is about the sacrifices, which is food, and God's kind of um, focus, hyper focus on food. When Adam Adam eats from the tree. God says to him, Hamina did you eat from the tree? Now, though that word hamin is also the word "haman." hamin minayin, we know about Haman from there. But I was fascinated by this idea of food being so central right at the beginning of our story. And in research that I did, I came to understand that the word for money, is, comes from the word moneta. She was the goddess of money, which comes from the word mone to count, which comes from the word man, manna. And you know, we we say, have you got dough? How much dough do you have? So there's this association between uh, man, which is money, and man, which is bread or food, and the word min in Hebrew, in contemporary Hebrew sex. So it's like those huge, Drives they're more powerful than we are. Food, sexual intimacy, and and money are driving us because that's about survival. And sometimes I, you know, I tell my seminary students, you think that you're very sophisticated. Uh, that's because we identify with the prefrontal cortex and the rational part of our brain. But you know, you go without sleep and without food. For a couple of days, and you'll see what happens. And one of the one of the most um, jarring. I mean, it sits with. It was Yom recently. Thinking about Elie Wiesel's book Night, and he he describes there that there was they were in a cattle car, and some non-Jewish people threw bread into this car, and how everyone dough for the bread and try to grab it and a father was being beaten by his own son and he says to his son whatever his name was the let's say you know this this is me I'm your father but his son was so crazed he didn't he didn't know at that point and he killed his own father for a corner of a piece of bread and so I'm mentioning this because you say we, ha- we have this complex relationship with food. It's like, no kidding, you know, because our survival depends on it. And so the primitive parts of our brain are wired for the fact that we have to, we, we have, to have it. And all of our foods really are broken down into sugars. And that's been pretty much an undoing of our, our generation because sugar so accessible. Sugar and salt. So, you know, the word salary comes from the word salere, which is salt. Because people used to be paid in salt. Before refrigeration, salt was more valuable than gold. Of course, you can't eat gold, but you could preserve food with salt, right? But now we can synthetically create salt, and we synthetically create sugar. And even our honey is sugar. You know, in America, there's a law that if... if um the if you make honey from a certain flower it has to state which flower like oak honey or blueberry honey or wildflower if it doesn't it means those bees have been fed sugar so if you just see honey right and it doesn't say which flower it's from that means that it was a sugar fed honey so coming back to what I was saying about this drive these very powerful drives we need this balance of salt and sugar and that's been sent completely out of whack and and so people are are their balance it's too accessible for them and this deep inner drive and need for survival is still present now the the there's a pasuk in the Torah verse in the Torah that explains this. You see, all eating is emotional eating. The Zohar tells us that the mouth is the gateway to the heart and the nostrils to the brain. And that's, if you want to energetically shift your consciousness, you can do that through your breath. But you want to shift where you're Heart center is, and that's through the mouth. If you want to calm down, lower your voice, or slow your pace of speaking, bread satisfies the heart of a person. So there's a very fascinating uh, commentary on the verse A person doesn't live by bread alone, but by everything, but by everything that comes out of Hashem's mouth. And what the mystics understand from this is that what keeps us alive, the real Kabul of nutrition is that in food, there's a divine spark. In everything, there's a godly spark. And what we want is access to that spark. The word saddik, a righteous person, is connected to the word Said, a hunter, because the righteous go hunting after their sparks. And in some ways, we're hunting for godliness when we're eating. The, the Maharal says that our teeth are like shrita knives and just like the, the Kohen would shift the sacrifice and then draw out the vitality and offer it to God. That's the consciousness of mystical eating from a Torah perspective, is that in that food, the, that's how I live. It's not nutrition. Isn't that I chew? So there's digestion and elimination way at the end. But I chew and then it's my stomach and the small intestine. What's actually happening? So I, all this is to break down the food. So that what? So that those nutrients can pass through a membrane into the bloodstream. And then and then what? well, so that keeps me alive, but that doesn't really explain it, does it? What's really happening is that through the digestion, I'm extracting the divine sparks. Wow. And those sparks enter into the bloodstream and they are then taken to the heart and then to the brain and they bond with God's presence the soul the divine soul and that keeps us alive and there's a minimal amount that we need to do that and unfortunately you know we're mentioning the holocaust and the bread earlier the nazis kind of figured that out exactly how much a person needs to eat it's the same amount that the sages say you can't eat more than on yom kippur wow right so with all of this, I, I, I guess, you know, one way of summing this up, you were speaking about the challenges we have and a, a, lot of, um, a lot of what I work with in my coaching is addiction and it could be screen addiction or pornography or alcohol, food, doesn't matter. The, the way of really thinking about this is that drugs aren't the problem, they're the solution. And that all of us want something we all are craving the divine spark. The antidote to addiction is meaning. Wow. Is connection with with Hashem, and that's what the Bal Shem Tev says. I began to reference it earlier. He comments on the verse: "Ravim gam they are hungry and also thirsty. Nafshim Bahem their souls are enwrapped in them." Meaning people are obsessed with food because they love god and my my belief and my experience is that when we connect with the antidote when we begin to be aware food is not the problem it's the solution to a much richer problem oh now i can begin to solve that problem
0: it is so deep. It's just, I'm taking in everything that you're saying and I'm processing it, it is so deep. And such a truth resonates with me from what you're saying, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, because people are eating and eating and you can see, I mean, I'm sure you see it also even in your work, people are addicted to food, like mm-hmm. even overeating, it's a big thing because we are all, especially in this time when we're so busy, we have so much technology, we have so many distractions, we're all searching for the meaning. Why are we here? What are we doing
1: here? And I right. like part it. of the part of the problem is that the food is so accessible like yes. I you know I gave the example of the sugar and the salt yes. that's it but uh, that's just a tiny part of it uh, food is very accessible and um, you know fascinatingly in America the the richer people are the thinner they are and the poorer they are the fatter they are and that's because they're eating processed unhealthy food yes Uh, the real you know i think that one of the next frontiers in looking after ourselves is learning how to prepare our own food and hydroponically you can grow a lot of food it's not ever going to be really enough I'm, i'm not saying it's the same as having a farm and you you need large amounts um but i do think that that we can begin to take care of ourselves by by growing our own food. It's so available that w- we, we are betraying ourselves. It's too easy. You know, I recently was, was watching a lecture about why advanced societies, or um, let's say affluent, that's what I meant to say, affluent societies have the highest rates of addiction. And this professor was saying that throughout our evolution look she's looking at evolution over millions of years and I understand Hashem just built these layers into our brain from the get-go um, but she says pain and pleasure have to balance each other and the Gemara says that constant pleasure is not pleasure so what happens when things are too easy It's an affluent society, you can get all the food you want, you open the fridge, there it is, boom, you know, and COVID kind of closed us down and we don't have those mirror neurons active where we're engaging with each other, energetically picking each other up, smelling what the other person smells like, feeling the presence of the energy in the room. So what what happens is that, We have too much pleasure and the brain becomes lazy. There has to be a contrast between pleasure and pain. And so the brain turns the pleasure. It just like slides it over into pain. Now you need more pleasure. Wow. And that's how addictions advance. And I can tell you when, when I came to the States, I I don't bake much anymore at all, Um, but I did when I came here and I was struck by the fact that recipes for a cake in America would have minimum of double the amount that a South African recipe would. And so if I was met using an American cookbook, I would automatically halve the sugar. And, and people loved the the pastries and cakes that I made because they could actually taste the food. Right. Everything here in America is very,
0: very sugar, very, very sweet. Everything, even we have sugar in ketchup, which you just normally wouldn't think that right. it would be in the ketchup. You know, who would think? Right,
1: right. And then it's like, well, I'm so used to that. So now my baseline, its it, it, I reset the baseline. So now we need something else. And then then we need something else. And, you know, the end of that is is really crack cocaine. And it's not pretty, but it's the brain just wants the... differentiation um, between one level of pleasure and the next, which used to be pain to pleasure,
0: I totally get that. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, as you were saying, you know, people really do want to, to have that healthy relationship with, with food and eating. They they don't want to be in pain all the time. They want to balance the, the pain and the pleasure, does, not to such an extreme with cocaine or drugs or anything, but they really, really do want to have that balance. And I know that you're not a nutritionist, but I want to see if you could please share with us some Torah insights about health and nutrition so that we can develop, we can really and truly develop a practical perspective on nourishing our bodies.
1: Okay. So I do want to say I'm not a nutritionist and I did learn quite a bit at the time that I was uh, ill. I had a wonderful guide who helped me, um, you know, I couldn't drive at the time. I couldn't really hold a conversation was about regenerating um, my body. um, And I did learn quite a bit. I want to just share first. I know you're asking for practical, but I do think as i said before uh, oneness with god meaning is the antidote to our problems with food and if we can begin to think about eating to live and serve god as opposed to anything else like in the west we tend to think of food as fun and and in africa people think of food as fuel so it's a, it's a it's a very useful distinction now the they there is a book i saw years ago, I really liked that book. Um, it's called The Zen Bowl Diet, but it was very simple uh, ideas about how to eat. You had to eat from a beautiful vessel. Wow. Okay. And I think that eating from plastic and having disposable dishes has impacted the way that we eat. So that's something to think about very practically. I'll get to the actual food, but uh, that that's, was you know eating from a a beautiful vessel eating sitting down in halacha in Torah law you're not supposed to walk and eat I mean you certainly don't walk on the street someone who walks I mean eats while they're walking on the street was forbidden from giving testimony in court Uh, uh, for certain cases I'm not exactly sure of the specifics there but I do know that it it's significant enough to bring into question the status of that person because animals animals forage and they move from place to place but people we're meant to sit down and eat so um, don't graze throughout the day have your meals and then take time when you're not when you're not eating um that book was eat from a beautiful vessel eat while you're sitting down and eat in silence in and silence
0: thought, wow yes. okay
1: and and actually in halacha uh we're told you're not supposed to eat while you're chewing because it's a danger because you're breathing while you're talking i'm sorry you're not supposed to eat while you're talking okay because when you're talking you're the you you need air to go in and out through the lungs but when you're eating you have to close that the epiglottis has to close that, and then the food has to go down the food pipe not the windpipe. Right. so um i do think that that eating sitting down not grazing throughout the day um chewing our food have a principle of um drink your liquid drink your solids and chew and chew your liquids we eat very, very quickly. And that's the story of Asaph, that Yaakov um, had prepared this pottage, like a lentil stew, and it, it was the day of the passing of his Ada. And, um, and <clears throat> Asaph said, give me this food, and, and then he exchanges it for the birthright. And we were told that at that time, Asa like, basically swallowed the food. He didn't just pour it down his mouth, but it's showing us that he didn't chew his food. So there's that. Um, I think that we really need to focus on alkalinizing our bodies. As I said, sugar is so readily available and there are things that people can do to alkalinize. Really cutting out refined sugars is probably the, the most I would say if you wanna look at the things you can really do for your health, chew your food properly, sit while you're eating, don't graze, eat whole foods, have non-refined oils. The refinery process with the oils makes them carcinogenic. Eat fats. People in America began putting on weight when low fat or no fat came out. And the reason for that is, that, as I said before, it's primitive parts of the brain that know what we need in order to survive. And if we don't, the brain needs fat. Yes. So when you take away the fat, the brain's looking for it in the next thing and the next thing. So people began to overeat because they're looking for the fat. But if you give yourself non-refined oils and healthy fats, um, that's going to make a very big difference. Um refrain from sh- from synthetic sugars and I mean we need sugar but not nearly it's like out of control um <laughs> I did once see a very interesting commentary it was um the Lubavitcher Rebbe was speaking about um and the fruits and it was fascinating for me he said there's no nutritional imperative for fruit Really, And that really struck me. And I thought, wow, you know, we need the vegetables, but you don't need fruit. And he said, fruit is a love offering from God to people. Wow. It's it's just like, I love you. So here's a mango. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was in Brazil speaking and uh, I was struck, you know, here in America, people say he's a hunk or something, you know, not, uh, I'm not endorsing that. But uh, in America, that's the term in South America. They say he's a mango. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love I never
1: heard that people, but I love that. <laughs> right. He's such a mango. Um, I actually ate fruits in South America. The fruit of the cashew nut, the cashew, is I, it was quite a, I, I don't use the term light lightly, but it was a game changing experience to sit and quietly eat this fruit that I had never tasted. I, you know, I was in my 40s and I tasted a fruit like a baby, you know, that tastes the food for the first time. Yeah. And it was so delicious. I could not help but think of God's kindness and giving it to me. And then I came across this teaching that fruit is this love offering. So, uh, you know, we can eat fruit and enjoy it. Um, we don't register that as sugar, really. The Rambam says, if you want to reward a child, the little child, give them raisins. You wow. know, Rosenthal, give them raisins and almonds. And, and you know, what children today are going to want the raisins? I, I don't think so, so <laughs> much, right? So that's what I would say is whole foods, non-refined oils, eat fats, healthy fats, refrain from sugars, don't overeat. The Rambam says that most illnesses begins in the intestine and more important in Shulchan Aruch, um there's a section on how to eat very similar to the rambam diet and largely macrobiotic um <clears throat> which doesn't mean don't eat meat but um the shoulder there says it's better to eat unhealthy foods it tells us what's healthy and what's not better eat unhealthy foods than then healthy foods and rather focus on not overeating. If you overeat and you stuff yourself with healthy foods, it's more detrimental to the body than eating a little bit of less healthy food. And I'm not talking about margarine or other things like that as food. I'm talking about food because a lot of what uh, we eat today isn't food. And then the last thing would be, as I said, chew well. Really chew your food. Try and chew your food until it's like a liquid. I've heard that. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's an exercise to do. And when we're mindful about food and think about it, we definitely eat less. Uh, the, the woman who helped me, um, Amanda, when I was um, had given birth, she told me a story about a survivor who was asked how did you survive and he said he used to chew his water and i tried that i began to chew water and it becomes with the saliva like a very thin custard in the mouth it takes practice to chew a liquid but um he attributed that i don't do it now but i'm just saying uh, sometimes when i'm on a hike i'll hold the water in my mouth and if i'm feeling a little dehydrated and I'm low on water, I just kind of hold it in my mouth. And um, it's, it's a different kind of liquid that you're swallowing. Yeah.
0: That's fascinating. I've never tried it. That is fascinating. I want to give it a try.
1: Yeah. The saliva is interesting because I I know of people who would plant seeds, but put the saliva in their mouth before they planted it. Because what that does is it activates that seed with enzymes that are in the saliva that make the food perfect for the, for, for their family. Perfect for their family. And, you know, that reminded me of um, the fact that women who breastfeed their children offer their children healthy intestinal tracts. When the baby's in utero, it has zero immunity. I mean, our children go to, go to play group and they, they get colds because they're developing their immunity. But one of the ways you get immunity is through the vaginal canal. And all of the bacteria or the, whatever's happening there goes into the mouth. And then that becomes part of the immunity of the person in there. Uh, intestinal tract so you can see you know from the mouth and out it's like one uh, column not that the vaginal canal is part of that but I'm saying that mothers have a lot to offer their children if you're healthy uh, and you're breastfeeding and your or your baby comes out through your canal you've already given them an enormous amount from the get-go their immunity has been created through that wow and their mental health will be affected by their intestinal health. That's so true. Yes. Yes. The health of the gut is going to help. And and I actually think that that's a lot of why people are um, struggling so much today Um, because the quality of our food has changed dramatically. You could have the exact same diet that a family did in the fifties, and not be in the same health, and you could be as active, but you would not be as healthy because food production has changed that much.
0: It's so true because if you look back at pictures, like you know, from the fifties, you see. I mean, most of the people are, are slim, and of course, we have slim people today. You know, it's for sure one hundred percent. But the majority of people, we have an obesity ap- epidemic, you know, and it's not somebody's fault. Like we're not blaming people. It's just the quality of the food that we're ingesting. It's completely different than it was in the in the 50s. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, right. somebody uh, making it up, somebody could have a bagel. Somebody could have had, had a bagel in 1950. We can also sit down for breakfast and have a bagel, one bagel. It's a completely different food than it was back then. The ingredients that made the bagel is completely different. Right. I know
1: there was a food in America, I'm not from here, but it was like um, some cake, like a, I forget the name of it, but it was like an American icon food. And I just recently was reading an article about how it disappeared and um, wasn't there. But, you know, all of a sudden, mothers with when food production changed after the fifties, it was like, well, you could go to the store, buy bread differently, buy... I remember when I was a child, uh, the milkman used to bring milk and leave it outside the door. And we used to take our glass bottles from yesterday's milk and put, but he didn't come every day. Maybe he came every three days or something and we would put it out. A cheese was covered in wax there was no plastic packaging and i i actually think that plastic oh, um horrible yeah it's really not good i mean you you know it, it we spoke about basic things for food but you know you had said like are there any is there anything else like can we go into other ideas would be um for health exercise for sure uh and and i think focus on your skin interesting Hmm. because the skin is the biggest organ in the body
0: right it absorbs everything
1: right you get air in through your skin and you excrete through your skin i think that uh, elimination is almost more important than digestion what you don't eliminate you recirculate and and people today are using products on their skin um that are closing up their pores so other th- are, are, it's like plastic so we're sealing our body and our clothing today clothing is disposable there's a global problem of what to do with the billions of tons billions of tons of plastic clothing and you know you can't just pass it off to africa and then what are, what are people in Africa gonna be doing, uh, doing with that? It used to be that people wore cotton or linen and maybe silk uh, and, and leather. Those are the fabrics that we should be wearing. And um, that's, those are, that's what I wear. And it, it's almost, you have to really look to find pure cotton garments these days, L- linen, actually, it seems to be a more pure, it's, it's retained its purity a little bit more than cotton. Um, so I think that our health requires that we pay attention to that. One of the best ways of hydrating your body is putting oil on your body, a natural oil. That's how you drink, you drink through your skin. If a person is hydrated and you put oil on the skin, it will get absorbed and then you put more and it, it will get absorbed and more it will get absorbed until there's a little glistening layer on top. And then you know, your body's been hydrated. I remember visiting a friend of mine who had cancer, Alea Sholem, and I used to go and just rub her body with oil and she loved it because it was better for her than the IV, you know, just for hours, just put those on Yom Kippur, you're not allowed to anoint yourself because it's like drinking. So I think that in addition to the food, we have to to focus on the quality of our food as well, on exercising, on elimination and keeping both the digestive tract and our lungs and our skin open so that we can actually um, get rid of the waste matter. In the the desert, the the blessing on the manna was Hamotzi Lechem min blessed are you god who creates bread from heaven we say Lechem min it's bread right. from the earth right. very unusual food and one of the things about that food is that there was no byproducts right exactly no and that's matter.
0: what we get caught up today right. in the
1: byproducts and they're
0: harmful to us yes 100%. well
1: i'm saying there was no waste matter they didn't go to the bathroom
0: oh that too yes <laughs> <That's> right <true. laughs> okay so yeah
1: the food could taste like anything that they want and the production of the food was really easy and Hashem was giving it to them one of the challenges in the month was that there was no waste and and somehow knowing that you excreted retroactively lets you know that you ate it serves some kind of psychological function it seems right and I, I think that we really need to focus on keeping those organs of elimination open I'm with you for sure
0: on that. Yeah, we want the toxins out of our body. We don't want them recirculating. It's 100%. Right, right. Um, so we did we did speak a lot about food and nutrition. And now I just wanted to maybe pivot a tiny bit. I want to take a, a moment to address the facilitation of greater health in general. So can you please share with us some practical advice on how we can be, begin to have a healthy relationship with not just food, but a psychological, spiritual relationship health-wise, you know, not just with food, but with, with our relationships, with our environment, with our work, just with everything around us, mm-hmm. so we can incorporate that with the food and really? be healthy overall.
1: Right. Well, in Hebrew, the word for intention is kavanah and direction is kivun. I think it's really useful to set our intention, that's the direction we're going in, to know why I'm doing something you know you you can ask the word lama why or madua why they're a little different madua is mayadua what is known what are the facts on the ground lama lama for what for what what purpose and if we begin to think about our lives here as being service based or, or not even based they are I am here to fulfill a purpose. I have a mission. It's the ultimate antidote. I mean, I, I think that taking God out of education as, it's very problematic in America, which is a democracy and people have many different religions. Um, so how are you going to teach God? You know, I, I grew up in South Africa and I know the Lord's Prayer. As a Christian prayer. But the reason I, I know it is because every day we said that prayer. Now I had no idea that it was a Christian prayer and it seemed to me pretty universal and I I, I quite liked it. But I'm very grateful for the fact that I began school every day and we, we had an assembly and we had to pray in unison. There was something powerful about that so I know in religious schools children are going to pray I think there's a lot lacking in the way that prayer is taught even in our Jewish day schools Um, but I feel for all people meaning is the the core principle of what we need in order to be healthy it's not like uh, the health isn't an end unto itself you know, the Hellenists were into look at the Olympic Games or the body is an end in itself. My body is a vessel and it's a means for me to do my mission in this world. And I, I, I believe that being attached to that is like holding us up above. There's a beautiful story about the Shepolya um, where he used to go down to a mikvah and down an icy hill in order to immerse in the mikveh and his Hasidim said that this was a miracle and the secularists who were very doubtful the Maskilim, the intellectuals um said no that's not true so the Hasidim said well why don't you go try go down to that mikveh that he does and one of them fell and broke his arm. So the, when, when the Rebbe heard about this, he went to visit them, and they said, Rebbe, you know, your chesedim, they're simple-minded people, we're sophisticated. They think it's a miracle. We know it's not. What's the secret? And he said, yes, you're right. Uh, there, there is a secret. The secret is, when you're bound up above, you don't fall down. And. Wow that that's what all of us need because when you take away belief in God it's not that you don't believe in anything now you now you believe in any possible thing you you don't believe in nothing now you believe in anything and something else is going to come along and as I said Drugs are the solution, solution, not the problem. So I really need God in my life. I need meaning and purpose, and that's taken away now. I'm, I'm, um, filling that with many other things. So I think that if we start to really connect with our deepest desires, our our kavana, our intention. What's the direction I'm going? What's my intention? My future calls backwards into the present and pulls me towards it that's the power of setting an intention
0: wow right you're going to a specific purpose you're going to my vision goals? right
1: yeah. my vision will retroactively impact my present
0: wow that's powerful it's really powerful. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. We have time for one more questions and I, I know, um, in addition to your wonderful health and knowledge, I understand that you recently became a certified somatic therapist, as we mentioned in the beginning, which is so awesome. And I, you know, it's many people don't know what somatic therapy is. So I was wondering, can you please explain what somatic therapy is, what a somatic therapist does and how somatic therapy can actually be very, very helpful to people.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll try and do that really quickly in the cliff notes version. Okay. Um, so for many years, therapy has been focused on talk therapy yes. and um, there is efficacy in that. But what, what has been discovered is that we're much more complex than that. So we have in our brain, the thinking brain, the emotional brain and the physical brain. Uh, verbal, logical, the human aspect of who we are in the prefrontal cortex specifically. And then there's the limbic brain, which is about survival, fight and flight. And then there's the reptilian brain, which is really just about physiological functioning, like excretion and sweating, etc., elimination, digestion, procreation. Um, and what somatic therapy does is work with the emotional brain. Um, there's a certain wiring there and uh, what what i am seeing more and more in my work is that if i'm describing an event to you that doesn't have an emotional trigger i can remember it in words but when we remember an event that was very moving whether positively or negatively uh, we remember it with our bodies so sometimes a person has um you know they might have tears or uh, heart fluttering etc Uh, And sometimes people are locked in a loop. A lot of the work that I do now is with rape victims or victims of molestation, quite severe. Well, I wouldn't say quite, very severe trauma. And um, you can talk about that, but it doesn't matter. It's almost like the talking re-traumatizes an individual. Yes. And so somatic therapy allows that individual To go into their physical experience and the focus is i want to notice what's happening in my body and thereby expand my window of tolerance so if i learn how to simply be aware of my flight response and then i allow myself to follow through on that like um I worked with a woman who was trafficked as a child at at two years old, sex trafficked. And the trauma is very extreme. And she obviously wanted to run away, but she was too little or kick. So then I would put her on the wall and let her push off against the wall or there's other things. So you have this follow through, you complete a thwarted response in somatic therapy. There was a response that was thwarted, stopped, and you right. complete that and that allows the circuit to close and then the individual can move on. And the way I got into it was because I had been attacked in my parents' garden. I was a mother Sorry. of four kids and um, I fought the man off and he beat me up very severely, pulled my thumb out. It was you know, really <sighs> intense and I did this talk therapy and I thought, oh, that's going to be fine. But mm-mm, no, I needed a body-centered approach to release the trauma so that's the work that i do
0: that's so fascinating i like that that you said it's a body-centered approach to release trauma
1: right and it's a more i would say more female because if we think of male it's top down and female is bottom up so talk therapy is in some respect the male modality of therapy i think of it like that and somatic is the female body-centered psychotherapy
0: Wow. And uh, just have a curiosity, is this like the somatic therapy, is that good for people of all ages? Like would it benefit teens, for example, or does it have to be an adult to really work? Oh no,
1: anyone. 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 Yes. Obviously it's going to be specific to that individual's experience, but um, yeah, I would say in in some respect, teens would respond to it much better than other than verbal therapy because there isn't that much dialogue. You know, they could just, you can process a lot on your own, on the inside. And the therapist is a facilitator, a witness to what's happening, gives feedback, but a lot of it happens on the inside.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Wow. Okay. um, Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, I was just thinking that maybe they would like a, a gift from my website um, and we could send them there. So uh, there's a, I had created a, a lecture and a worksheet called seven foods for seven habits it's a food-centered program looking at the seven foods of the holy land Sora, the wheat the barley the grapes the pomegranates etc and it explains that as a program for personal refinement so if they want to find that they can just go to the website shimona.org s-h-i-m-o-n-a.org uh, forward slash shop or you could just click on the shop and look up seven foods and uh, at checkout just enter code Vera and they'll get it for free.
0: Perfect. Okay. And I'll include all that in the description of the podcast. That's Great. amazing. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. thank you so much, Shimona, for being on America's Top Repetitions. We really enjoyed having you here. We learned so much. And may all the learning we did today be for Rafu Shalema, for Leia Batavora Basha. Thank you so, so much.
1: Amen. Amen. And thank you for having me. It was wonderful to meet you and spend time together.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.